A Greek hero fights a series of monsters, including the dreaded Gorgon, to win the woman he loves. This is Clash of the Titans. Welcome to Movie Time Machine, Monster Closet Edition, your retro movie review podcast where we take movies from the past and relive them in the present. This week's movie is Clash of the Titans, directed by Desmond Davis, written by Beverly Cross, released on June 12th, 1981. I'm your Time Machine host, Chad, and joining me today is our horror expert, the monster of madness, Jamie. How you doing? Good. I like that new title. I might have to put that on my LinkedIn profile. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Do it, man. <laughs> Bestowed <laughs> upon me. By... It'll, it'll drive the clicks. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> the clicks and the likes. That's all anyone's after these days, right? That's right. Got to get them clicks, man. So thank you for joining me for this Monster Closet Edition episode of Clash of the Titans where you and I get the riff about our favorite monster movies, horror movies of fantasy, horror genre, if you'd like. So really quick, um, what have you been up to? Oh, man, I have been, well, we just moved, so I'm unpacking the house, um, trying to anyway. That's, I wouldn't say it's a losing battle. I would say it's more of a slow-moving river, but hey, we're getting there. And Like a, a glacier. There we go. That's the proper, <laughs> that's the proper uh, geological reference point I was looking for. Yeah. It's a glacier. But no, other than that, let's see. I've been um, kind of slowing my movie and TV diet, which is fine. I've been reading um, this book. It's uh, do you, you know the podcast Hardcore History, right? Yeah. Yep. The Dan Carlin book. Um, yeah. His his book is called um, The End Is Always Near. And he <laughs> sounds pretty on brand, does it not? Yes. But um, yeah, it, he's just kind of chronicling the fall of civilizations from the Bronze Age is where I'm at right now. So he goes from the Bronze Age kind of through modern times. He'll probably get to World War II and the military industrial complex. Um, but yeah, really been enjoying that. I'm probably sheesh. Yeah, I'm not very far, probably 50 pages, but it's it's really interesting because he published it in 2019 and he kind of has these um, broad sweeping statements of how societies can get complacent. And he talks about soft societies, um, which is, I kind of think, fair to say about the United States right now. Just we've been in peacetime for a while um, mm-hmm. after the Iraq war. I know that there's still troops overseas there as well as Afghanistan, other places, but broadly speaking we're a peacetime country and he just kind of talks about other factors that can kind of bring down a civilization well that have in the past um and he mentions pandemics and plagues which i i don't think he was calling anything in 2019 probably not when he wrote the book but it's really Mm -hmm. it's kind of fascinating to read now just kind of where we are with covid and how we didn't prepare quite as well as we should have and kind of the consequences we're dealing with now so not exactly fun reading, but definitely timely. <laughs> what about you, Chad? Well, well not uh, man. I haven't been reading as much lately. Um, you know, like the end of the summer, I got a Kindle, so I was like, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna read the Foundation trilogy. So I whipped through the first book um, pretty quick. 
really enjoyed it. So I started the second book, Foundation and Empire, and getting through that one. Then I just kind of stopped. <laughs> so I've been in like a month lull where I haven't read anything. So I need to get back to that because I'm really enjoying the the space politics of that. And I'm really seeing, you know, where people say like that's a big influencer of a lot of the sci-fi that we've probably had over the last 20 to 30 years. So, so really what, enjoying that. What is the Foundation trilogy? I, I'm not familiar with that. It's uh, Isaac Isimov. Um, oh, yep. No, so. him. Yep, it's uh, a lot of, you know, like uh, Star Wars, I think, pulls heavy a lot from um, the series. So even like, you know, like there's like the religion aspect of it where I was like, oh, this is where I can kind of see where he, you know, kind of created like the Jedi or um, the idea of like uh, building a new empire. And I was like, oh, I can kind of see where he did, you know, kind of built this for like the prequel trilogy. So it's more of like a a political space drama but it's 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 really cool i'm i'm not very great at describing these things but well i think um, the political people space I've... drama really kind of took hold for the uh prequel trilogy so <laughs> yes it does 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 much better in the book form i think um i said yeah some people told me like they they had a hard time getting through it but i i enjoyed it quite you know i really enjoyed it so yeah i would at least give it a try if you can get through the first book then you're golden so because what i've i've read in the second book so far is kind of more of the same so but kind of different uh different uh catalyst i see sounds in like the... politics in general more of the same yes. but different catalysts yes but um yeah i gotta i gotta what's the name of that carlin book again i gotta write that down i need to Oh Check yeah, it's called "The End Is Always Near." It was um, okay. One of my so we uh, last year for Christmas, my family we kind of switched it up because we're like, man, everyone has a lot of gifts. We don't really need more stuff. But um, I guess in Iceland, they it's the country I think that publishes the most written material. They have a lot of authors, poets, what have you, on the island. So what they do. Christmas Eve, this might be a fun idea for any of our listeners this year, is um, they will just exchange a book with one another and read that on Christmas Eve. And that that will kind of be their gifts. Um, you know, I maybe they go out all out for Christmas, too. Yeah. I don't I don't know. I'm not Icelandic, but we kind of adopted <laughs> that idea. And yeah, that was the book I got um, last year. So I'm just getting to it now. But that's OK. Awesome. Very cool. All right, let's get on with the topic of the week. This week's film is Clash of Titans, the 1981 edition. Is it 81 or 82 now? I IMDb uh, says 81. Your doc has 82, but... Okay, we'll go with 81. Because <laughs> I thought I just, I just read it earlier today. It said 81 as well. <clears throat> okay, Clash of Titans, the 1981 version. And I kind of want to do maybe a quick convert or a, a comparison to between this one and the 2010 version at the end of this pot as well. Quick. I just want to kind of get your input on that as well. But um, yeah, starring Harry Hamlin, Lawrence Olivier and Burgess Meredith, uh, probably most famous for Rocky grumpy old men. And he also played the penguin in the old, um, 
Batman TV show from the it was like late sixties or early seventies. That's right, the Adam West yeah. era of Batman. Yes. yes. Yeah. Which is I remember that when I was on syndication all the time. That was always fun to watch. Before Pow! we had the uh before we had the Tim Burton Batman, which t- changed everything for me as far as Batman goes. Agreed. I, I like area. I like Burgess Meredith just as like the perpetual coach and tutor of heroes. Yes. You know? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> really kind of yes. carved a niche for himself there. That's right. Yeah. I like that comparison. Mm-hmm. You got Rocky. You got uh, Perseus. Yeah. I like that. Did not pick up on that. Good call, my friend. Good mm-hmm. call. All right. So box office. It's uh, numbers I found here. It said nine million or fifteen million, which is a huge difference. See, that's a that's a lot of millions. <laughs> it's like uh, about like about thirteen, fourteen. <laughs> oh, nine million or fifteen million. But even if you go fifteen million, it brought in seventy million in the box office. So, um, it didn't tank, but it wasn't uh, a commercial success at all. You say, um, Metacritic, it has a fifty nine percent score. Uh, IMDb, IMDb, the average is 6.9. Rotten Tomatoes, the critic per- reception score is 68%, with the audience score of 70. So that's actually a little higher than I um, I was thinking it would be with this film. So, But yeah. Film that came out in 1981 looks... This is a film that... You know, in my memory, when I go back and remember it, it always seemed like this was a much older film than it was. Um, I think until recently, I thought this movie had come out in the late 60s or early 70s. So like around the same time as, you know, the other Harry Housen classics like the the like the Seven Voyages Sinbad and the Jason and the Argonauts films. But um from that standpoint, this film looks quite dated for a film that came out in 1981. Uh, it came out a year after The Empire Strikes Back. And, you know, you're around the same time as, you know, like The Thing and E.T. So from Almost that standpoint. year to the day, by the way. I, I just checked. Empire was like June, 20, June 20th, 1980. And then Clash was June 12th, 81. Yes. Wow, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. So it's... uh. Yeah, as far as uh, the, you know, I just want to—I'll cut right to it. Like, as as far as a um, a great film or good film, I don't know. This is a movie to where I love very much the the monsters and like the quest. Everything else is just kind of like whatever. Um, <laughs> you know it's like it's not like the best story it's not always the easiest to follow well i was just gonna say back to when you said um it about being dated so we like i said we just bought a home and while we were looking i i remember we looked at one house i won't um say where it was to spare the residents of that neighborhood but we walked in i remember my realtor said wow this house was dated the minute it was finished like we walked in, <laughs> we walked in the front, and I I can't explain it. J- just the layout felt a little off. It was it was newer for the time, but I knew what he meant when he said it. 
And I couldn't help but think of that when I started watching this movie again, because I did the same thing. I did the decade check. It's like, wait, this was 81. And like you said, yeah, I, I've seen Jason and the Argonauts. It feels like the same movie, but what, like 20 years later or something like that? Yeah. So, Which yeah, this crazy. film was dated the minute it was built. But with that said, the the interaction in this movie with um, live actors and uh, stop motion creatures that are, you know, models that are, you know, maybe a foot or a couple feet tall and blending those two techniques together, um, I think is that interaction is done quite well. Just everything around it is, is not very good. But um, again, for me, like anything Harryhausen with the stop motion creatures, that just doesn't, maybe just me personally and like my nostalgia for it, but that just doesn't seem to like, it seems the age, age well versus, um, you know, a lot of other, you know, special effect creatures maybe in that same, same era, but. I think so but maybe too. Say, I think yeah. I think it's part of its charm. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but Oh no, charm. That's that's like that is a perfect perfect word. There is yeah. a lot of charm. There's um a podcast I listen to and one of the hosts has coined this term which I think is it's just great. It's um he calls it cinematic nostalgia disorder and <laughs> it's for films kind of like this, but the ones he references um like the Monster Squad or I guess for the millennial generations, it would be like Hook, you know, Steven Spielberg's Hook, okay. which I think are great movies, but don't exactly hold up well to modern audiences. Or, you know, you put a kid in front of it and they're like, wow, what was that? Right. And you're like, no, trust me, it's really good. Like, did we see the same movie? It's really good. Right. And they're like, no. But so I think maybe there's a little bit of that going on, but I agree with you. I think, yeah, it's part of its charm. The um models it it can get a little disorienting when they go back and forth like i'm thinking a lot of the calibus scenes um where he's like capturing pegasus or you know fighting with perseus and some of them i'm like you have the actor in makeup like why are we going to yeah claymation here like you have yeah. both the actors let them you know let them duke it out yeah there is yeah, there is some scenes like even like I'm just looking at some images here, even like the scene where Calabas goes up and he the the bag with Medusa's head is hanging on a tree and he goes up and he slices the bag and the blood seeps out and like the scorpions drink it or whatever. And then we get the giant scorpion battle. And it's like, yeah, that part you could have just done the actor, right? Unless they wanted to get like, um, you know, maybe like the full bodysuit or something or like the. There's some pretty cool animation, I guess, with this tale, too, which I can kind of see Harryhausen with wanting to capture maybe like the life of like this creature or something, you know, kind of judging by his other works and that he's done. So I can kind of see that as well. But there are some kind of weird camera cuts, too, where, you know, I think make some of the scenes weird. But but if you go back and if you're like a child watching this, like it doesn't really <laughs> those are things they don't think most kids would pick up on but i remember this was did you watch this film at all like in high school for any or like middle school for any kind of like uh uh greek like literature or um 
Greek mythology? Um, I, I don't remember doing that. No, I, so when we first saw it, it was a film, um, my dad saw and wanted us to see. So my, my only memories of it are renting it from Blockbuster repeatedly. And, you know, that was a different time too. when you had to go to the movie store and that was like, that was the movie we wanted to see that night. So if someone else had it or it wasn't there, we had to, you know, change your plans and pick a different movie. And there was always anguish because yeah, I remember renting this one definitely more than once. Um, yeah. But no, did you watch it for school? Um, yeah, I remember watching it for school a couple of times, but that wouldn't have been the first time that I had seen it. Um, I remember there used to be, well, this is, I remember seeing it the most when I lived in Texas. So I was anywhere between the ages of five and 10, but there used to be like monster movie Sunday or something like that. And that's the day that I would get my Godzilla and, you know, your, your Simbad movies, the clash of the Titans, um, any kind of random large animal, large rabbit, large ant, <laughs> you know, um, movie like them about the gigantic, uh, radioactive ants. Great so, movie. That one's yeah, <laughs> great. It kind of gets a little unwatchable for me just because of the sound they have for the ants it's that really oh, high-pitched yeah. yep yeah radio tune that's <laughs> yeah. the that if i had any complaint with that movie that's it it probably would like send the dogs of your house in a frenzy yeah but definitely yeah other than that that's a very watchable movie really entertaining <laughs> but those are always really good um do you want to just give like an intro on ray harryhausen because i think he's kind of the reason this movie exists and probably the biggest keeper of its legacy wouldn't you say yeah and probably the only thing that really gives it legs you know like um i again i think his creations are you know what give it as you said the charm i think that that is you know that has like keeps this movie up i think without that um I don't know how they would have done this movie. Um, it may have looked, I guess, maybe even more dated. I don't know, like how they would have done the monsters. I don't really can't I can't really think of anything comparable around this era, except for maybe like a a Star Wars that maybe would have done something that maybe would have looked as good. Again, I'm coming from like the monster um, standpoint of it, but. Yeah, and this, I mean, to me, you know, like I said here, it's kind of, it's the end of an era too with this film because this is his last um, big film. Um, Yeah, I think he retired after this one. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. And And, uh, yeah, he gets lots of, you know, accolades and has influenced um, probably a lot of the directors that, maybe influenced i know for sure like my childhood as well you know you talk about your steven spielbergs and um like the special effects people that did movies like you know like the thing and jurassic park um which i want to recommend right now there is a really cool harryhausen documentary that right now at this time um November 2020 it's on prime Amazon prime, which is kind of a good look at just kind of his history and the work that he did. But, um, 
Yeah, it's kind of a legacy. I think it's, I, I don't really, as far as impact on film and what he was able to do, I, there's, I don't think there's really anyone close to it in that area era that's has made movies feel that way. And for me too, like one movie that kind of stuck out that's kind of different from the other monster films is the Earth versus the Flying Saucers movie where he animated the or he did the stop motion from for the the Flying Saucers. I've never seen that one. It's really good. I mean, it's I I remember it most from when the it was like the Super Mario Brothers game that came out on Game Boy years back. So like in the 90s, I just remember there was this advertisement with um, Mario. And I think the one part of the game, you're flying some kind of spaceship. Well, in this advertisement for that part of the game that would cut to people running and it was like scenes from Earth versus the flying saucers with like the famous scene of like the UFO, like crashing into the Washington Monument. Um, oh, but just kind of like, yeah, where like he said, like most um alien or ufo films at that time it would just have like a some something that was shaped like a platter you know or a disc and they were just, it was just hanging from a single screen or string um versus he did like stop motion where he had kind of like this it almost looked like a fan that kind of swirled around the kind of center of the spacecraft you know the kind of like well if it was like an anti-gravity thing or he explains it best in the documentary but it's like oh that's that's why that that movie, I mean, that movie isn't great again, but why those, those flying saucers in that film look the best, like the best flying saucers that, you know, I'd ever seen from that era. And I, I have his Wikipedia page pulled up too. There's um, a reference here too. It says that uh, Tim Burton's film Mars Attacks, he um, does a tribute to Harryhausen when the Martians um, take down the Washington Monument in that movie. yeah yeah oh yeah forgot yeah. about that so i thought that was a pretty cool call out and does does the documentary go into um his participation in faking the moon landing with stanley kubrick do they cover that at all no what fill me in no I, i'm just bsing no okay yeah no. <laughs> okay we landed it's on like, the moon. no we landed on the moon yeah you could take a telescope you can go outside on a night with a full moon and you could still see the uh, lunar lander lunar lander on the surface surface of the moon. So, right. My favorite piece of evidence, too, is the YouTube video of Buzz Aldrin just like cold clocking. Uh, conspiracy oh, yes. <laughs> that's that that's awesome. like all the proof. I that need. is awesome. Well, then you have somebody like. Uh, it was in the latest Joe Rogan when you had Alex Jones back on. I was just like, yeah, yeah. So actually, uh, he was uh, Armstrong was on another show and actually came out and said that, oh yeah, the the moon landing was fake. Was the entire thing was fake, and uh, he was just holding the secrets to uh, protect the U.S. government. <laughs> Some shit like that. Oh, it's like Alex. you drunk ass piece uh, of shit. Yeah, that's a fun story, but definitely not true. No, no. Also, uh, Ray Harryhausen, if you if you don't know while you're listening to this um, and while we're kind of gushing over him now is. Is the uh, creator of, of monsters and mythical creatures from movies like The Seventh Voyage of Simbad, um, Clash of the Titans, which we're talking about, um, 
20 million miles to earth what's that the original mighty joe young oh yes yep i did not i did that's something too i learned from watching that documentary is that i didn't know that mighty mighty joe young was that old and um yeah it came out a few years after the original king kong so which the he i think he talks about how he wanted to like kind of give more life to that that creature by like going and like watching like how the animals like walked and paced around in zoos and stuff like that so um just found that quite interesting Let's see here did you um so like movies like the Sinbad movies and uh, Jason and the Argonauts were those uh, favorite of yours so childhood I, favorites at all? I never saw Sinbad, but Jason and the Argonauts was definitely in that um, blockbuster rotation as well. I I do remember watching that one, and the famous scene there is when they fight off the army of the undead skeletons. And yes, 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 yeah. He just. I, I, his influence can't be overstated because when I see things like Game of Thrones, you know, when um, there's that scene when Bran and Mira and Jojen are just getting to the, the One-Eyed Raven's tree and yes. they yep. pop up out of the ground. That was the first thing I thought of was Jason yep, and the Argonauts. Yep, was exactly. Same here. Same here. Yeah. I remember too, like for me, it was a struggle. Like, again, that's like a movie I caught like on the monster movie Sunday thing. <laughs> And uh, I would always catch that movie, but I would never know or would always would always forget what the name of that movie was, because I for the long time thought it was a Sinbad movie. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Jason and Argonaut. So, yeah, S- Sinbad movie, had think. the cooler name, but Jason had the cooler named gang, the Argonauts. Yes, the Argonauts. Yeah. And the uh, what is it? The That's the one too. Where, like what the front of their ship? It was the the face of. Was it like Athena or is it like it was one of like the Greek gods, I I think. And like and I remember there was like scenes where like it was like talking to him, but there was yeah. like, you know, that would always creep me out. <laughs> and maybe it's like part of like the like the color palette of of that era. But um, yeah, again, I think that movie right now is free on YouTube, um, the, the full movie. Ooh, yeah. So for those of you who I haven't just, seen it, check it out. It's yeah, it's very similar to Clash of the Titans. Is that the one? Is is that Jason Argonauts too, where it's like the giant like bronze statue, like comes to life as well? Oh man, it has been so many years since I've seen it. I honestly couldn't tell you. I just I remember the Golden Fleece and I remember the skeletons, but that's yeah, really all I can recall from that movie. So yeah, too, and um, possible. In that documentary, they kind of they kind of described how they created that scene with them fighting the skeletons, and they would, uh, you know, practice and like choreograph those fights with like people just like wearing like white, all white, you know, to kind of say like, oh, this is kind of where the skeletons would be. And then when they did the final take, it's like all these actors that were like the you know fighting with the swords were doing all those actions with like they're basically like cloud boxing like there was no one there nothing Mm -hmm. and then Harryhausen had to come in and then he would do like the stop motion with um 
the projected image on the background and would just do it frame by frame, which is just how crazy, like how much that lines up. And there's, you know, I, the one thing I would, I was always thinking about when watching this and just kind of reflecting on Harryhausen was how good that they were at getting the actors to like, I'm doing in quotes here, like see like these creatures Mm-hmm. And to like battle them for, and I think like just how awful <laughs> those interactions are in like the prequels for Star Wars, <laughs> you know, just like that, like you, you had all this technology and you couldn't like get your, you couldn't inspire these, these people to kind of see what you're imagining versus Harryhausen was, I think um, in almost all of his films was able to, to capture that. Well, and I think that's true because the greatest battle sequence, if you ask anyone about the prequels, I mean, the best ones are Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan versus Darth Maul and Anakin yep. versus Obi-Wan at the end of Sith. And it's no coincidence that those are the only ones that are human versus human. Yep. Yeah. So I think what you're saying pretty much tracks and I, I have a soft spot for the pod races, but I mean, your point is your point is well taken. Yeah, the pod races were pretty cool. I they just need to go out and, and do something different with that announcer. That was that one always threw me out of the like. <laughs> there goes Quadraneros. <laughs> Looks like he lost the power coupling. It's Skywalker. <laughs> You're too good at that. I, I've seen him once or twice. <laughs> I did the. The, um, geez, the Phantom Menace. I, I've seen that one quite a bit because after I went and saw it in the theater like twice, um, somebody gave me like a VHS copy that someone made like recording it from like a, a camcorder in a movie theater. So I was like, oh, I had like this like bootleg version of it that I watched like every day for a month or two. (laughs) And then I just totally lost like my, I just totally lost it after episode two came out. Was then was pretty disappointed with everything, but yeah, I just love the idea of a bootleg of like one of the worst Star Wars movies. Yes, <laughs> it wasn't even bootleg of Empire. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Oh, uh, I don't know if I would consider it the the worst, but no, I th- I think Clones is the worst. Nope, I, I Sith I've recently rewatched the prequels i i think sith yeah sith is pretty bad yeah <laughs> it's like long it's boring mm-hmm. yeah anyway we're talking about harryhausen and clash of the titans yeah. um i had a couple of fun early life facts for harryhausen if you're interested yeah let them rip so when he was just kind of starting his career in the 30s and the 40s he joined the Science Fiction League, which was created by Forrest J. Ackerman, who was a magazine editor and science fiction writer. And he joined that with author Ray Bradbury, who, um, you know, most famously wrote yeah. Fahrenheit 451. But I just thought it was cool that. And the Martian Chronicles, right? Oh, did he? Yeah. You're probably right. Yeah, I just the idea that that's what you would do back then. Um join the science fiction league like i i would kill for one of those today we're just a bunch of nerds get together and do whatever takes place in the science fiction league but <laughs> <laughs> yeah it sounds really cool it, 
another um, reference kind of of the time. He was, I, I think this makes him part of the greatest generation. Um, he served in World War II along with everybody in Hollywood at that time. And he served in the U.S. Army's Special Services Division under Colonel Frank Capra, who um, was the director of films, most famously, It's a Wonderful Life. But he also did Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, It Happened One Night, and Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. So just kind of interesting that the amount of networking that probably took place from just the U.S. military in the film industry. Yeah, yeah. And uh, like, I can't, I can't you know, go on without saying this. I just, when I hear stuff like this, it just makes me think like the level of like sacrifice, you know, for country that it makes me think of today. It's like just the level of things we're not willing to sacrifice in the midst of a pandemic, (laughs) you know, it's. Oh, totally. uh, It's yeah. It's not hard to wear a mask. That's the one I do not understand. I, I don't have to wear it for eight hours a day. So maybe if you're like a doctor or a nurse complaining to me, that would be more welcome. But right. Anybody else. I mean, shoot, if you're going to buy groceries, just come on. Come on, man. Come on. But anyway. So um, what do I have here? Cover that. So yeah, just some some other accolades here. In 1992, he did win an Academy Award for his uh, overall technical contribution in the film industry. In 2003... He got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And in 2010, he received a Bastards Award, which I thought I had. Because I forgot what that was. You know what a Bastards Award is? I don't, but I wish I did because it's the most interesting sounding one of the bunch. He um he also cut the ribbon on his, his um, Monsters and Creatures exhibit at the Museum of London. Um which, while that was uh, open, I wish I would would have been able to see that, or if that came stateside, um, which I don't think it is going on right now. I don't think it was just a temporary exhibit, but that would have been really cool to see those monsters on display from all the films that he worked on. So, in in that spirit, um, one, uh, I guess, influential director today that we didn't really talk about, but just occurred to me now, um because you mentioned that exhibit and I think I may have mentioned this before, but did you ever see Guillermo del Toro's exhibit when he came to the MIA in Minneapolis? No, no, I missed that. That was very cool. And I think I missed that. I wonder if this exhibit is anything similar. I did you say it's defunct or is it, does it still exist in London? I don't think it still exists. I think it was like a temporary exhibit. (sighs) That's too bad because, yeah, I mean, if Del Toro ever brings that back, just similarly, the way that he cares about monsters and creates them, and they're so clearly from his mind. I mean, he's, granted, probably referencing other influences and pulling them out, but he does have a style that's very much his own. So I, I can only imagine that this exhibit must have been something in that spirit. And, man, what a shame because... That exhibit was phenomenal. I mean, he had uh, suits from Pacific Rim. He had a couple of the creatures from Pan's Labyrinth. 
and then just mm. a bunch of like old artwork that he collected throughout the years that he just he he had to buy a second house like these are first world famous director problems but he had yeah. to buy a house to store all of his art and models and stuff like that crazy so, yeah yeah if that ever yeah, comes currently back right around, now the harry house exhibit is in scotland right now it looks like so um Yeah, Scottish National Gallery of Modern Art right now. Okay, that's going on the post-COVID bucket list. Yeah. It's, um... Oh, yeah, from Saturday... Yeah, from October 2020 to September 2021. So, sweet. Sweet. Um, Speaking of the monsters, did you want to talk about them at all? Did you have any favorites or creatures that kind of keep your interest after all these years? Yeah, the standouts for me are, I mean, the Kraken, I think the Kraken, I don't think is the best, but I think it's the the Unleashed the Kraken, like, that is, like, stuck in, like, pop culture, especially movie culture, especially geek culture, um, that has carried through um, other movies as, like, little one-liners um, now ever since this movie, so gotta love that i gotta say i think my favorite character like monster creation or whatever from this movie is um the owl that's created um by hephaestus is bubo bubo um yeah i love i love the bubo the owl um but my favorite monster i think is medusa in this one um i I love that entire scene that um with medusa i just like call it the kind of creepy still like can look um so yeah i would agree with you too i think i was watching this and um the kraken obviously is great weirdly sexual like we get a lot of kraken midriff shots there oh yeah yeah i didn't remember that i was like oh man there's some sort of you know (laughs) uh hidden meaning going on here um (laughs) didn't pick up on that as a kid (laughs) yeah yeah um and then medusa of course i i I would agree with you too i think if if i had to pick one that was still super effective and would probably you know um entrance or terrify a kid it's probably that because her makeup holds up really well and they do a great job of just setting up how lethal she is and yes yeah like what like the the stone people Yep. Like kind of leading up to that. Yeah. Yep. The stone people. She's got, um, you know, toxic blood, not unlike alien, the xenomorph in alien. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. And yeah. So I would agree with you there. I think the one that kind of really captured my imagination this time that I didn't remember from the original viewings when I was a kid was the, the giant buzzard when he, um, kind of, visits andromeda in her dream and yeah takes her to calibos i thought that was so cool because i remember reading greek myths for as long as i can and you know some of these archetypes cross over from cultures and you can kind of pick up on mm-hmm. them you know the legendary heroes or whatever but that one just struck me as so unique and an idea that i hadn't really i couldn't identify in any other sort of you know religion or doctrine just this buzzard arriving at her bed you know leading 
or she leads herself into the cage and then bringing her to Callie boss's dream. Yeah. I, I don't know what it was yeah. about that, but that really kind of caught my imagination this time around. Yeah. Same here. Actually that I completely forgot about that scene. Um, going back this is probably the first time i actually sat down and watched this movie from beginning to end um i've always seen like this movie in like clips or if it'll just be randomly be on i'm like oh, i'm gonna watch this for like 10 15 minutes you know until i get to that one scene i want to see then um, i'll dip out but yeah that one really stuck out to me too i think yeah for me yeah my favorite is probably like the the medusa scene as well i think for me too it's like the Maybe we can kind of segue into the 81 versus 2010 here and sure. kind of use Medusa as a segue. And I think this is, I want to start this off with a quote from Harry Housen that really stuck out to me as he said that when you make, and this is talking about like movies today done with more CGI versus like the more practical stuff and like the work he did is that when you make fantasy too real, it loses the quality of a nightmare of a dream. And I was like, fuck, yeah, dude. Like, because, you know, like, you know me, right? If I've made it quite obvious, I'm not hiding the fact that that's kind of like one of my biggest digs on like modern movies that are like sci-fi, monster flicks or anything like that is like the heavy use of CGI and just how they just don't age well or maybe just not done very well. And I was like, that's it. So when we talk about Medusa, we have the the 81 version of medusa like it's you know like the the movements are like kind of you know they're not very fluid but they're um very in like the intent of the movements are are done very well mm -hmm. um versus like medusa in the 2010 clash of the titans it's like shit is just all over the place like the fucking snakes are flying everywhere and like medusa is just like jumping and bouncing all around the screen and it's like it doesn't seem, you know, like he says in that quote, like it just kind of loses that quality of it. Like it's, it's not fanning. So it's, they try to make it look real to, to the point where it's not like, there's too many things like going on it at once that I think it's hard for, for me personally anyway. And maybe that's for others that it just doesn't look the greatest. It loses that, um, loses any kind of quality that you can have in that creature that wouldn't, terrify you in the littlest bit but yeah versus and, like the the stop motion one well and piggybacking off of that i think the quote you have lays it out perfectly and why it works better in the original is because the the story of medusa is that you know she was a cursed woman i i think it was athena but pardon me if that wasn't the actual goddess who transformed her but when you have the stop motion, she looks like a transformed, bastardized version of a woman. You know, it's you, your mind can see that, you know, this used to be a person and something is wrong with her. And yeah. it's, it's kind of enhanced by that myth. Whereas I think you're right. When you go full CGI, you, you lose that because, um, you know, if all the creatures are digital, then no transformation ever took place because they were, digital to begin with so there was no creating of a monster the whole thing is a monster you know what i mean yes like that point yeah and i think too that um i, I just had this thought while i'm looking at the cast of the original and the cast of the 2010 version what i remember most of the 2010 version is not the 
scenes with the monsters and the, you know, animation. That's what I remember most of Clash of the Titans, you know, probably unfortunately for like Harry Hamlin and Judy Bowker, who I, I start this movie. I'm like, my God, those are two of the most beautiful actors in Hollywood. And yeah. <laughs> they just didn't have the careers to back that up, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. And but, but when I think of 2010, I think of the actors first and not the effects. So, you know, I think of Liam Neeson as Zeus. He has a great performance there. Ray Fiennes as Hades, who just, you know, delivers another great performance as the villain and, you know, kind of on and on down the list. So that kind of stood out to me, too, that, you know, when I think of the original, which had great actors like the great Laurence Olivier, Maggie Smith. I just I yeah. don't think that's not the first thing I think of. Whereas with 2010, right. I'm like, oh, yeah, exactly. that's the one where Liam Neeson is Zeus and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So so what you're saying is you did you actually did you like the um, remake of Clash? I, I did. I mean, it's. It when taken. Compared to the original, I I could see why they would, um, you know, re re um reinvigorate the visuals and do that like i understand the uh boardroom discussion about that i do but right. ultimately it's you know it's it, it's it's good it's well, i wouldn't say it's good it's fun because i'm a sucker for anything greek mythology anyway and like i said it does have yeah. good actors but just yeah. not in the same way you know if, if you had to give me the choice between the two i'll take the original every time so that's where I kind of landed on that. Did, have you seen the 2010 remake? Yeah, I watched most of it. Um, there were some parts where I, was, I found boring, so I would just kind of skip through. But um, yeah, I mean, I was underwhelmed. But um, yeah, I, I was more just kind of looking at it to make com- comparisons between the two films, just uh, as far as like, the story and so i think in 2010 we get hades right which um ray fines plays and we didn't get that we didn't get hades in the original um, true so some things are kind of like you know one-to-one some things are are a bit different but um yeah i mean i could see it being like you know it's maybe a fun movie to kind of have on a big screen and pump up the volume you know but yeah but again, when I go back to the 81 version of uh, Clash of Titans, it's not like it's not really a movie I would recommend to watch. Like, say you need to go back and watch it. It'd probably be more entertaining. I would say go back and watch a YouTube video of like the whatever 10 best scenes from the film, because that will probably do enough to like give you an idea of the film. Um, mm-hmm. If you're a fan of like films like Jason of the Argonauts, um Stuff like that. I mean, definitely give it, you know, give it a run. I would definitely watch it. But um, yeah, outside of the monster stuff, like time has not done, has not been very kind to this film. And I don't think it was that great to begin with and from the like when it was first released. So um, and like the, uh, you know, like you said to like the cast, you have like these A-list actors like playing like the gods, but. I was imagining like, oh, they just must have got all these people in like a room and like filmed all this in one day. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Because they don't interact with anyone else really in the cast. Um, So, 
Yeah, it's there. They, they're on the Hollywood film set, and then you have like Harry Hamlin and Burgess Meredith on location. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think you're right. Yeah, I do. I want to just. I just thought about this too. Like that first uh, moment where he meets um, uh, Burgess's character when he comes out with the mask, and he's kind of like making like that screeching, you know, kind of trying to scare um, Perseus away. I had a moment of like, oh, it's like was very kind of like um, Obi Wan esque. Oh yeah, at that moment, but New Hope Obi Wan. Yes, yep. I like that. So, all right, yeah, got yeah. like two Star Wars uh, <laughs> references in this one. Well, and not unlike Luke and Obi Wan, there's and this this is a kind of a trope in Greek mythology too. But when when the hero is given an ancient artifact or weapon and then they lose it and it drives yeah. me absolutely <laughs> crazy. I'm like a God gave you that helmet and you left it in the swamp. Come on. Yeah. Perseus. Right. It's like Luke when he's fighting Vader and then he loses his lightsaber. I'm like, come yeah. on, Luke. That's like the last saber of the Jedi order. So right. I just, I just chalked it up, you know, until like young and dumb. Right. Like, <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I, I no i think you're As, absolutely right not being able to appreciate the the um importance of the artifact they're given all right well i i, I got this sword and shield and this helmet this easily i mean chances that i'm gonna get another one right looking pretty good <laughs> right. Right. Oh, and he leaves the freaking shield in the amphitheater like yeah dude what are you doing <laughs> We got really excited about the cape, right? Or the helmet. Is that the, what makes him disappear? Yeah, the helmet. It's the helmet? Yeah. I mean, that's like, you get like a toy like that. But like, dude, I got, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this to its fullest, you know, capabilities, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> Just put it on. He was gone, you know? Right. It's like giving, giving the kid the keys to the new car, man. Like You're right. It's, yeah, there's, there's two kinds of kids and heroes. There's the kids that leave their bikes on the sidewalk and then there's the kid who walks it into the garage and i know which one i want to yeah. be <laughs> right <laughs> uh i didn't have a garage and i walked it to you know the steps yes and the, then somebody s- stole my bike <laughs> damn it no actually no no that's what we thought what happened thought happened but actually what happened is is i rode the bike to the mall and I left it in the bike rack. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did you? Uh, I mean, I was what eleven, you know? Right. When you can't, I mean, bike thieves are savage. You sometimes you can't oh, yeah. lock it up in the garage, and that doesn't even matter. So. Right. Right. Yeah. Bikes are like gold. All right. So, before we end here. I had one question is uh Harryhausen is is he maybe the creator of some of the greatest monster movies ever? Oh man. See, or may or or maybe make this two questions or greatest monsters ever? I think that that's probably true. Um let's see. The I think his biggest comp would be probably the Godzilla films, right? So the 
creator of help me out here who were who was the uh who was the mind behind the original godzilla suit because i had the the original film it's shiro honda is the director but i'm looking for the special effects team here i know some nerd is just screaming at their device right now it's creature design See, designed by Tezo Toshimitsu and Akira Watanabe under Eiji ah. Suburaya's supervision. All right. Yes. So I would say they probably could give Harryhausen a run for his money. But, I mean, apart from them, I'm I'm kind of hard-pressed to come up with a comp. I guess what you could say for modern movies, um, probably, and I don't know how involved he is with the creation but definitely the acting is andy circus he's probably oh yeah 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 granted he's not doing the modeling i guess his body is the model you know like him and yeah, Doug true. jones true guys who play monsters true. um and there's that actor shoot he what was his name he was the body of the predator and harry and the hendersons um oh damn Ah, that's gonna bug me. But that guy, <laughs> that guy, yes. Yeah, I, I don't know if I. I mean, yeah, I love the I love the original. Um, but again, I don't know how much like my nostalgia for that is. You know, saying that. So Have again, you... I would say go back and maybe watch some YouTube clips, uh, from the original. If you think it looks bad or if it's not your type, maybe go for the 2010. If you think you can handle it. And if you're, you like the style too of like those uh, Jason Argonauts, Argonaut films or Sinbad films, um, give this a shot. So um, that's another good look at, you know, which I think is probably one of the coolest creative minds in this type of film um, in our history. So definitely check that out. Yeah. And I'd love to, I'd love to circle back. If you watch this with the boys, I'd love to hear what they think of it. I didn't, but it's my plan, you know, like I think a couple more years. Yeah. Um, so, but I don't know. I don't know why I'm saying a couple more years. What did we just watch with them? Like we watched Jurassic Park about a month ago uh-huh. and they love that. I had moments where I was like, is this too much? But I was down. I mean, they love like Nightmare Before Christmas. And so, yeah, maybe I need to. Uh... I think they're at the age, though, where it's like if it's like they need the animation maybe to hold their attention more for like a longer movie but they watched jurassic park too though i had i did have to fast forward jurassic park though to where you started seeing dinosaurs to kind of keep their attention but that's fair there's a lot of science in that first 45 yes yes so maybe yeah maybe in a couple years um, we'll have like a nice home theater set up in our basement and we can rock the you know shake the walls with some some, actually that's probably not the movie that will shake the walls because the sound effects aren't that great but that's true we could blast that whimsical music that plays through it the... yeah <laughs> but cool I don't think I have much to add on top of that do you Jamie I don't either oh I had one quick fact I would be remiss yeah. if I didn't mention it so we've been watching Monsters Inc that's on Evie's rotation right now and sweet yeah, it's a great one. There's a line in the film, too, where uh, Mike makes a dinner reservation for him and Celia. 
and uh, the name of the restaurant is Harryhausen's. So oh, that was <laughs> that's awesome. Pretty fun. Cool. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just if you're out there listening and just look up anything Harryhausen, if you get a chance, watch the documentary on Harryhausen. And the cool thing about that documentary too is it it does you know interviews too with like your your um, uh, Del Toro's and your other you know directors like Spielberg's and across the board. So definitely if you watch it, there's probably somebody in there that is a director of a film that influenced a movie that you love. So check it out. And on that note, thank you for downloading this episode of movie time machine monster closet edition. New episodes drop on Fridays. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow us at movie machine pod. And if you want to send us any questions or comments or feedback, you want to leave about the show. You can send an email to movietimemachine at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Bye.